Hello, hello. Welcome to the Heart Picker Podcast. I'm your host, Lara Blacklock, and this is episode 28. Welcome, everybody. I am speaking to you from Miami. It's been three years since I left Venezuela because of the pandemic. Well, because I was saving money and then the pandemic. And I am finally here spending, a, I guess, a month now trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my year, where I'm going to go in the world. I'm recording this from my iPhone underneath a blanket, hoping that it's going to sound okay. This is the second time I record this, um, and I hope I hope this one sounds good. <laughs> Today, we're going to be talking to Melanie Gaudet, a plus-size fitness coach. I met Melanie in art school. She used to be, well, she specialized in ceramics, and I was very, very curious and inspired when I started to see her post a bunch of fitness content and I saw that she was working as a coach and how well she's been doing now and it must be now two years of her doing this work when we recorded this she'd been doing it for a year now and hmm, coming from someone who likes fitness who likes working out I have gone through moments where I lose motivation because I just don't look like those fitness models, those fitness coaches. I don't have the perfect abs. I don't have the perfect butt and the muscles. And it can be easy to lose motivation. Now, when I look at Melanie's content online, I am instantly inspired to get up, get out of my head and move my body. And to remember that I'm not doing this to be this hot girl. (laughs) You know what I mean? I'm not doing this to have a hot body. Yes, that's a cherry on top. Yes, that's a bonus. That's a plus. But I am doing this to be healthy. So when I look at Melanie's content, I am constantly reminded of that. I also found it completely admirable that Melanie wasn't this person who said, okay, I'm going to get those results first and then I'll be a coach. Just because someone's body isn't the perfect ideal body that society sets us to believe is a perfect ideal body because I believe that's a mere interpretation of society um does not mean she can't be a coach does not mean she can't live a fit healthy lifestyle so I I really wanted to know what Melanie had to say about this in this conversation we talk about body image body acceptance and how Melanie has navigated her life as someone who just had a bigger size. I really hope you're inspired by this. I I was completely editing this. I was just fascinated by what Melanie shares and it's a message that I hope more and more people listen and believe. All right, I'll see you on the other side and I hope you enjoy this. So the reason I wanted to have you on this podcast is because 
like I said at the start of this call, I've really appreciated how you're showing like your, your way through the fitness world as a coach isn't based on your external results necessarily, but on how it makes you feel and how, you know, you see like most women would be like, I'm going to wait until I look a certain way before I become a coach. Mm -hmm. There's no way I'm going to become a coach looking like this. But you're like, no, I'm going to show you my progress. I'm going to take you with me. And it's what inspires, I think, or inspires me even to say, yeah, <laughs> like, and, and to show, you know, you show all these dancing videos and you can see how it's making you feel good. And it reminds us that we work out because mm -hmm. we should work out because we, we feel good, not because we we want the abs and yeah, those are all cool things. But if we, for me, whenever I focused on just the external yeah. results, I'd, I wouldn't last because if I'm tired or, or if I'm not feeling well that day, I'd be like, fuck it. Or if a month has gone by and I'm still not looking yeah. like those fitness influencers, I'm like, oh, what's, mm -hmm. you know, what's the point? And I lose motivation. And also adding to that, this, like, I know this battle I'm sure I'm not the only one, but this whole, it's like very inspiring to see these amazing bodies, but at the same time, it, it can, for me, okay, I'll talk from me, from my experience. I've had the cycle. I was telling you about my cycle where I follow the fitness models and then I'll unfollow them and then I follow them again and I unfollow them again. Like it depends on how I'm feeling. Maybe I'm hormonal. Maybe I've I got sick and I couldn't work out for two weeks and now I'm ha I, ha I feel pressured by these bodies or I feel frustrated that I'm not looking like them. So that's another thing. Like, I don't, I don't get that with you. I just, you make me want to work out. And, um, and even the befores you've, you've put, like, those are amazing to me because you do see those small changes. You talk a lot about small changes too. And I appreciate mm -hmm. that a lot because we're so hard on ourselves. So, yeah, I love that. I love your approach to body image and becoming a fitness coach and everything. Yeah, thank you, Lara. And you know, when I first started, I was at my heaviest I've ever been in my life. And um, I got introduced into the coaching world and I have yo-yo dieted my whole life. I've been up and down. And I decided that this time was going to be different. I was not going to be obsessed about calories and restrict my meals and eat shit I don't like. And am I allowed to swear on this? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, Cause that's just who I am. I wasn't going to do workouts. I didn't like, I was not going to spend an hour on the treadmill if it didn't make me happy. I've done all that. I've done all of this stuff and it, you know, it got me results. But when I lost that weight, I wasn't happy and I know what it takes. I could easily lose 50 pounds if I set my mind to because I've done it. I know, I know how to do that, but I made it uh, my mission to show women and anybody that you don't have to do it that way. And what matters most is your mindset. And um, until I got my mind in a good place, until I made peace with my eating disorder and made peace with even with exercise, because when you struggle with disordered eating, um, exercise in a lot of ways turns into, instead of it being something for enjoyment and something to make your body strong, 
for me, it was punishment. So it took me a long time to get into a good mindset with, a, with exercise. Um, it was so triggering for me. Every time somebody would suggest for me to go to the gym or encourage me to work out with them, I would just be like, no, I don't want that because it messes with my head. And people don't understand that if they're if they've never struggled with this stuff, they don't quite understand why you're so defensive at the beginning, you know? Right. Were you conscious that you were punishing yourself at the time or did you find that out later? Uh, kind of both. Um, I think at the time for me, when I would work out every single day for an hour plus, um, I felt accomplished that I did the hard thing that I didn't want to do. And it was like a reward in a way. I, it was like a badge of honor. You know, I just spent this many hours at the gym and I had no excuses for it. And if I can do it, you can do it. And if I can wake up this early and work out, then why can't you? And I think I wore it as a badge of honor, you know, and I think about it and it was just <laughs> to check off that box. Like I did not, at the end of the day, I really did not feel proud of myself. You didn't feel, you didn't feel good. I mean, like, it's like you work out and you get those endorphins and you feel good. But since my mind, since I associated working out with calorie burning, I would count every single calorie I burned, every single calorie going in. It was almost like if I didn't do my workout, it was the end of the world because I fucked up this whole day now and I would feel guilty and it would be like this endless cycle of like, you didn't do what you needed to do. Nobody will be inspired by you and all this crap. Like, I just feel like I had so many high expectations on myself that if I wasn't perfect and if I didn't do this, then who am I to say that I'm fit and healthy? Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. 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 And so how, what was the turning point? Um, Good question, because it's so funny. I feel like I've started these journeys over and over and over again, and I kept stopping. So I would be like, okay, this is it. I'm going to lose weight for real this time. And I would go all in, and then I would stop. And, you know, I just kept going and kept going and kept going. And I think for a lot of people, you hear when people have lost a lot of weight and they keep it off, you hear about their, like, aha moment. And I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I don't think I had like an aha moment per se. Like, I don't know if there was just like one moment or one day where I was like, okay, this is it. I feel like it was honestly like an accumulation of moments where I was like, you know what? I'm sick of living this way. I'm sick of hating my body. I'm sick of feeling depressed. I'm sick of like, I was just done. I was just so frustrated and done with living my life that way that I just was like fuck it I need to do something so I'm just gonna start and is that when you be decided to become a coach as well so basically I became a coach shortly after the pandemic started okay. um and I had just gotten laid off from my full-time job so I was home and emotionally I was definitely very I was like distraught, I would say like I when the pandemic happened and I couldn't see my parents and I lived in a city far away from my friends and family and I was no longer working. I was completely 
like emotionally unstable is what I'll say. Um, and I was just looking for ways to fill my day. I was just like searching for any sort of happiness. So whether it was making art or making food or hold on to any moment that felt good is what I'll say. And I had one of my friends, Ashley, reach out to me and say, hey, you know, I have some home workout programs. I don't know if you'd be interested, but if you want to try, I can send you a free trial um, and we'll go from there. And I'm not going to lie to you, Lara. Like everybody knows this. I'm a very honest person. I don't lie. I can't. <laughs> but um, I literally was like, oh, here we go again. You know, yeah. like I, I don't know how many times I've been approached from people of like, hey, you should do this, you should do that, blah, 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 blah. And I just kind of roll my eyes and I don't even listen. Do you mean that as the typical sales pitch or do you mean because, do you mean it like I, fe I feel targeted in, you know what I uh, I don't think I felt targeted because she's my close friend. Like it, it's not like somebody reached out to me that I have never spoken to in my life because then I would feel targeted. So just like in the general typical sales pitch, often and fitness stuff. Yeah. And it's part of it is marketing and part of it is like, oh, so you see somebody who lives in a bigger body. And I'm not saying that Ashley did this when she invited me. I'm just saying that in my head, it's like when people are like, hey, do you want to start working out? My assumption, my defense mechanism kicks in and is like, oh, so you see somebody who lives in a bigger body. That's you what assume, I meant. That's you what assume, I meant by feeling yeah. targeted. Yeah. You assume they need to lose weight. They want to lose weight. They don't like their body. They, you know, all this stuff starts to come into play. And the truth is, is there is a lot of people who live in bigger bodies that have no desire to lose weight. It's just, it is what it is. And um, I lived for a long time in a, in a bigger body with no desire to lose weight. And even now, weight loss is not my goal. It is for my health because I have seen a little taste of what happens health-wise when you're when you live in a larger body but my mental health is my reason for everything I do and um, that is the switch that happened when I realized that working out makes me feel better and eating healthy makes me feel better and um, like all these tools to have a positive mindset improves every aspect of my life that's when the switch happened and I honestly did not believe that you could get healthy or lose weight or become fit <laughs> in a healthy way at all when it comes to your mindset. Did you associate it with, this is how I associated it. I associated it with pain and with feeling sucky about myself because I wasn't performing my best. And I think that's what a lot of people feel when they work out. And they think that's, oh, I have to go to the gym or running. I have to do running and I hate it. Like, that's how I, I always felt. I hated running and jogging and, and, um, and going to the gym. And I thought, well, but that's the only way. That's mm -hmm. the best way to get the body fast. And it wasn't until I started focusing on what I liked first, like, and they were softer things like Pilates, yoga. I even mm -hmm. did sweat swimming because I love being in the water and in the pool and swimming isn't easy, but at least like I love yes. the water and the sun. And then from there, I got an interest. Like now I'm fucking jogging. I can't believe I'm jogging. 
but it's yeah. because it's because I want to do something different and I want to be outside. But before that, but it, and it's only because I've allowed myself to try different things. So now it's like, mm-hmm. it's not like I have to jog. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to try jogging now. Yeah, because I, I also like variety in my workout program. Totally. And I, I feel that a lot, too. And even like from an artist standpoint, you know, how many people, how many times have you heard this in your life, Lara? Oh, I can't draw. I couldn't even draw a stig, stick figure if I tried. I don't know how you do that. You know, it, it's the same concept is people say they can't do something before they even try, you know, and um, it, I don't care what you look like. I don't care what your experience is like. I don't like you can do it. You just have to start. You have to try and you're not going to want to do it and you're not going to want to continue it if it's something you hate. So yeah. I really, I tell my clients when um, they first sign up, I say, pick activity that you like. Um, I don't care what it is, whatever gets you moving and you enjoy doing, do it, have fun, enjoy it. Because (laughs) if you're trying to do a workout that you hate, you're going to probably do it twice and give up. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly it. Cause I, I feel very much the same in terms of like stopping, 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 punishing myself, punishing myself, stopping, punishing myself, stopping. And again, very oriented on the, like very focused on getting the external results, which they, they come slowly. (laughs) So yeah. yeah. And um, so how has the journey been? Because you're a new fitness coach. I thought you'd been doing it for a while longer. So how, how has that journey been for you? It's been a lot of ups and downs, if I'm being honest. Like, I've been coaching for about nine months now. And um, I'll say, like, I know when we were talking before we started recording, I said, you said it, you were surprised that I was into the health and fitness. Um, it's sort of like I came out of nowhere. And, and I told you how I was in the art world for so long that I, I honestly put my health on the back burner. And it wasn't until I had some major burnout from being an artist that I, I realized, you know, I can't put my health on the back burner anymore. And I've struggled with my weight my entire life. And in some ways, I almost feel like I've been on this journey for the years I've been, I've been on this journey for years. And although I've only been coaching for nine months, that's only nine months of me actively trying to help people. But, you know, I was, I've done this before where I've made a fitness account and I've tried to document my weight loss and only just for accountability. And even then a few years ago when I was doing that, I was inspiring people. You know, the only difference was I wasn't actively working with people one-on-one to help them reach their goals as well. Right. So in some ways I feel like I've, I have some sort of back knowledge before I started Um, and some experiences to pull from. But as far as the actual business aspect of it, um, yeah, it's been, it's been ups and downs and it's the same thing with, with my art career, you know, which so many people when I, before I applied to art school, were like, why are you doing that? That's a waste of time. You're not going to make any money. You're not going to be successful, blah, 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 blah. You know, the drill. And I ignored, I ignored them because it's something I wanted to do. It's something I loved. And I kept feeling this pull towards it. And, you know, you can only deny yourself what you want to do for so long before you become bitter and resentful. And 
I just decided that, you know what? I don't fucking care what people think. I'm doing it. And I feel like as soon as you have that switch in your mind and that confidence in yourself, you know, like people might criticize you, they might judge you, but eventually they won't anymore because they'll see that you truly are passionate about it. They'll see that you truly are helping people. They'll see, you know, like people don't see me working at home when I'm on my laptop and I'm, I'm doing all the behind the scenes work. People don't see that, you know, like my boyfriend sees that my family sees it. They truly see what it takes to do this. And a lot of people don't, and it's easy to judge people when you don't see all that. But, um, I do say, I would say though, um, with all of the ups and downs in life and in career, and it doesn't matter what your path is, especially if it's something you're really passionate about, I think it's really important to ride the seasons that are hard. Um, so when you aren't getting clients or when you're going through a really hard time in life, um, you know, this year, it's been nine months of coaching. I've been through a lot, you know, like I moved cities. It's been a pandemic. Uh, I told you that I went through a miscarriage. I lost my family dog. I broke my arm. With every single shitty thing that life has thrown at me, I have not quit coaching. And that's what you have to do. You just can't give up. Like, it's, it's who you are. It's not even your career. Like, you know, like we're artists. We, we don't just become, like, don't become artists anymore because we don't make art for a while. It, it's who we are. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, so I would say that just riding those hard periods um, and those tough seasons is so important. You, and all that matters really is just not giving up. That's, I loved what you said about just because you have, you've stopped doing something doesn't mean you've, you're not that anymore. Um, it's, for me, like collaging wise, I haven't collaged in a while and I have to remind myself, like, you're still an artist, you know, even photography. I, I haven't, I'm, I'm again, I'm, the podcast was all I did since all of last year. And I'm like, yeah. I'm still a photographer, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know? And, and so, but my question for you is, uh, what did you do to self-care during those hard times? I think I'm at the point now where I like, I know what I need, whether it's like for my mental health or for my body or even just socially. Like I know when I need to step back, I know when I need time and I have all these tools that I've utilized. So the most recent one is meditation, which I did not realize how life-changing meditation can be. Um, I honestly was scared of it. I didn't know how to do it. And which is funny because meditation is just breathing. <laughs> like, you know, it's the same thing where our minds hold us back from trying something. And when I had surgery for my arm, this is my first time getting surgery. It was a minor surgery, a day long procedure, but um, it's still very painful. I think this broken arm was the most physical pain I've ever been in my life. And thank God that meditation has come into my life because it's what you, what I was able to use to help me push through the pain. And, you know, all those moments where I was frustrated and annoyed and had to ask for help, which is something I don't like to do. Um, you know, meditation and taking a step back, all of that stuff reminds us that, you know, you don't have to do everything alone. 
and it's okay to just pause and breathe. And we have, we put all these expectations on ourselves all the time, especially as women, especially as creators. We have like the weight of the world on our shoulders all the fucking time. Like we care about so much stuff, but you know what? Like at the end of the day, we're only one person and we don't have to figure it all out today or like this minute either. And so, yeah, it's like I have these tools to help me through that, that stuff. So meditation helps me. Exercise helps me. Um, what else helps me? You know, like dancing, listening to, listening to music, uh, nourishing my body, calling a friend, making art, like something like I really feel like my soul needs in order to show up as my best, the best version of myself. Have you had moments where even even after you did these things that you found make you feel good, you don't feel good? You still don't <laughs> feel good? What do oh, you yeah. do then? Um, I've dealt with depression. And those are the moments where I feel like no matter how much self-care I do, there's nothing that can get me out of that hole. And I'm actually looking into online counseling right now because I feel like, I feel like everybody should do counseling, honestly, because whether it's your upbringing or society or we all have our shit that we're trying to deal with. And it's something that... I just got to the point where I was tired of trying to deal with it by myself. Like I just, I felt like it was too much for me to handle by myself. And I did not want to do the grunt work of trying to figure it out anymore. It's exhausting. You know, like every time something traumatic, every trigger, everything that makes me upset, I'd have to like go in my brain of like, why is this upsetting for me? How can I, uh, react to this in a way that's appropriate, not out of anger, not out of all of these things. And I'm not saying don't feel angry, don't feel your emotions, but you can't hurt people because you're, you know, triggered by something either, right? And so I think when if you're depressed, or if you have anxiety, or if it feels like nothing you're doing is helping, I think medication is so helpful. And um, there's a stigma around mental health. There's a stigma around medication. And if it helps you, it is no different than taking medication for a physical ailment and um, counseling. Because even talking to other people, they can see things from a different perspective. It's an unbiased opinion. And it's a way for us to take our thoughts, which are totally scattered, and just figure them out and deal with them, you know? Yeah, I, I totally agree. I decided uh, there's a lot of people who for some reason feel uncomfortable with therapy or just really don't want to go or don't think they even have, like they don't think they'd benefit from it. And I started to go to therapy again last year in August. And mm -hmm. I've, every time I go, even during sessions where I think there's nothing to talk about and most of those I've canceled, I'm like, ah, they're, they're, I'm, I'm good this week and I'll cancel it. And I told him that and he's like, please try to come even when you don't think you'll, you have anything, even when you, there's nothing going on. Mm -hmm. It's true. Every time I go in, there's some, I come out with a totally different perspective. 
Yeah. And it's, and it, it, it's helped me so much. And also it's finding the right counselor for you. That can also be yes. one of the reasons why people are like, ah, I went to one therapist and that's it. Mm-hmm. I'm not going back. And there's tons of different people. Like sometimes you really, I, this was my third try mm-hmm. actually, or maybe fourth or fifth. Like I'd gone to a couple coaches. I'd talked to mm-hmm. different people. I went to a psychiatrist even and mm-hmm. thinking that maybe I needed medication actually. And finally I found this one person and I'm like, great, love, love this guy. This is the person I'm sticking with. And um, yeah, I like that. And I like what you say about medication as well. It is a big stigma. I am very mm-hmm. wary about on it, about it. Like I think it should be your last resort. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what you think about that, but. Well, here's my perspective is um, I grew up with a mom who is severely manic depressive. So my mom, I love her, but she is severely mentally ill. She, and it has just gotten worse over the years and it's something that will never get better. And it's something that actually, when she had me, her hormone imbalance actually made her illness worse. And so I had to deal with the feelings of like guilt that like, is my existence the reason why my mom is struggling so much with her illness? And I know that sounds crazy, but it's true. That's how I felt. And um, seeing just her and her asking for help and her you know, her illness for seeing it for what it is and those calls for help, which are uncomfortable because her call for help could be her up all night or it could be her calling the cops five times in a row or it could, you know, it's, it's, it's strange behavior, but that was my normal growing up. And so my mom doesn't have a choice. She has to be on medication and um, that's the only way to keep her stable And I think even that, like, for me personally, not everybody is there. Not everybody needs medication. And she, it's been a journey. And even if you are somebody who thinks they might benefit from from medication or might actually need it to be able to function in life, um, the process of finding meds that work for you, it's a long process. It's trial and error. There is a lot of things that we don't know. Every single person is different. Every medication will react differently to a different person. So your experience with one medication might might be completely different than somebody else's. So I think every single person's situation and um, it's all unique to them, you know? So yeah, 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 that's that's pretty good. Melly, I want to go back with you like back to your childhood and like teenage years. And I want to mm-hmm. ask you if you, how did it go with you growing up in terms of body image in Canada? Because I grew up in Venezuela, so I only know about how that felt like here. And I remember here it was, um, yeah, you had to be skinny, obviously. And not only that, like on top of that, you had to have, big boobs, a big butt, you know, very mm-hmm. Latin American woman. And I remember totally. from a very young age, like I rem- at 13 years old, a boy had already told me, you're pretty, but you don't have much of a body. And because I was like a stick figure and I hate, and that's when I started hating my body because mm-hmm. a boy had already declared on me, you don't have much of a body. 
and and that belief stuck with me and I still struggle with that belief now. I still Mm -hmm. think of myself as a pretty girl with an okay body. Like I, I never felt sexy or I never felt like I have a hot body just because of that one thing, just because of that one sentence, plus seeing how the boys around me looked at other girls who had developed um, at a young age, like their mm-hmm. breasts and their butts. And they, they, and those were considered the, the attractive girls. So yeah. for me here, the body was more important than the face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then when I went to Canada, I felt like it was, but I I don't know. I'd love to know how it was for you in Canada and and yeah, how, how, how was it? Yeah. I find it so interesting because we have all these influences and we, and I love what you said about that comment from him and how it stuck with you because, which is why I think it's so important to talk about how we talk to other people because I remember every single harmful comment from every person that I've had. I remember word for word. I remember how it made me feel. And I'm sure you do too. And it's something that we take with us, unfortunately. And it affects us. Um, You know, we can say that words don't affect us, but they do. And um, yeah, and I remember actually uh, when we, I I don't know what we were doing, but we were talking to uh, Maria about that about you know in Colombia it's the same thing of having big boobs and a big butt and all that kind of stuff like there's an ideal body type in different cultures in society and it changes it goes through you know one minute this body type is ideal and then five years later this body type is ideal um totally totally and you know it's it's funny because I think so for me growing up um my family, I will say, loves food. My, uh, my grandma always struggled with her weight. She was a large woman. She was about six feet tall. Um, my, we're just big. My family is big. Um, and so I grew up knowing that some women in my life and my family struggled with their weight. And then on the other uh, hand, I was always the biggest girl in my class. So I felt completely like alien, like, cause I was the only larger girl in my class. So I felt like, am I normal? Is my body normal? Am I, you know, you have all these weird thoughts go through your head and that's just how I felt. I felt like ostracized and I felt abnormal is what I'll say. And I think with Canada, which is a colder place, six months of the year on average, I think it's more socially acceptable to have some more weight on you, especially in the winter. Like, you know, I feel like, you know, my roommate was from California and she would say like, yeah, she had a pressure to be thin all year long. Whereas I feel like I only really had that pressure of like getting your summer body, you know, like work off those winter pounds ha 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 (laughs) so um but society though like the time that we grew up um because I think we're about the same age I'm 27 yeah we're the same age I'm 27 yes so we know that what what popular culture fed us was if you're not skinny you're disgusting that's how I felt I felt like if I was not skinny I was not beautiful or accepted or worth anything is how I felt 
And I can't say that I know what it's like to feel skinny, but I would say that it has to feel the same way as somebody who feels large of you don't fit in the ideal if you're too skinny. And people are saying, oh, just go eat a burger. Well, it's the same thing. Just go work out a little more. Like, it's the same yeah. thing, whether... Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's the same thing if you're quote-unquote thin as if you're quote-unquote fat. Either way, doesn't matter what your body type is. It doesn't matter what your lifestyle is. You're still being body shamed. And you still feel like your body is not good enough. And it's not accepted. And you feel like you need to change something about it. Yeah, totally. I I remember in school, like fifth grade, sixth grade, I remember um, girls grabbing my arm and like, wow, oh, like you're, you're stick or being called stick figure, like all these skinny mm-hmm. names. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I remember <laughs> I even made like a carb diet and I was not even – a teenager, maybe 12 years old. And I was Mm -hmm. like, I want to, I want to get bigger. I want to get bigger. I don't want to be so skinny because I was sick of people saying, Oh, I was anorexic. Mm -hmm. I remember I had a date at 15 and the guy made a joke. I thought it was disgusting, but he was, I said, Oh, I'll I'll be, excuse me. I'm going to go to the bathroom. And the guy was like, this was in a restaurant, like having dinner or something. And he's like, Oh, what are you going to go puke your dinner? And I'm like, I just, I was shocked because I was like, if I were, if I was actually someone who did puke, like who, who was bulimic, mm-hmm. that, that, that would be so bad. That would be mm-hmm. terrible. And, and that, so those are the kind of jokes I constantly got. Mm-hmm. And then also like the whole, like I have, I have an aunt who at family gatherings would be like, you're perfect. You just, all you need is boobs, like get, get yeah. surgery. And, and all, and most of the women in my family have surgery, like breast breast implants and it's so normal most women here in Venezuela it's like the most normal thing I'm Mm -hmm. the exception like the women who don't get surgery are the exception so there's this feeling of being incomplete and like not enough Mm -hmm. and unworthy I remember I loved going to Canada because I got to put more layers on Mm-hmm. I loved boots so that my yeah. legs didn't look so skinny, for example. Things like mm-hmm. that. I couldn't, I couldn't wear fucking um, leggings without feeling bad about myself because I felt like my legs yeah. were so skinny for leggings. It's crazy. I know. I, it, it really is crazy. And like, oh, I just, you know, the thing is, is people joke about this stuff and they play it off like, oh, I'm just kidding. Stop taking it so personally it's not funny. Like eating disorders are not funny. Body shaming is not funny. Like I don't find this funny and I'm not, you know, the thing is too, is I feel like we get gaslighted with our emotions of like, you're just, you take everything so personally and you're so emotional. It's like, no, you hurt my feelings and you made me feel like shit and that's not okay. So can you not? Yeah, exactly. You know, and I think for a long time, I would not stand up for myself. I did not, I had no self-worth. I didn't even know, I had no confidence in myself and I wouldn't even know how to stand up for myself if I, if I could, you know, like I didn't have the ability. And I feel like when I accepted my body and myself at my biggest, and I found a way to love myself, love my stretch marks, love 
every single part of me and own it and accept it, that is when I truly was free. That was when I was free to, you know, work out because I wanted to and accept myself for who I am and just remember that, you know, like we all want to fit in. We all want to fit in. That's, that's like a human need is to be accepted. And that's why we do these things. That's why we get surgery. But, um, you know, like it's not strange to want to feel accepted, but we have to remember that everybody is unique and beautiful. And if we all look the same, how fucking boring would that be? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. You know, like, you, and the problem is, is we compare ourselves to everybody else. We compare ourselves to the movie star. We compare ourselves to our family member and forgetting that we're completely unique. So how did you, can we go into more detail about how you started to love your body just as it is? Yeah, it's, it's not easy. <laughs> I guess if I was to break it down, it's sort of like retraining your mind. Uh, so it's the same thing when you have like a negative uh, thought pop into your head. And it doesn't have to be body related, but like, let's say you think like, oh, today is disgusting outside. I hate the weather. It's so shitty. Like, you know, I just wish the sun would come out. You know, if that thought comes in, you literally have to like retrain your brain to be like, you know what? Like every day can't be sunny. And just because it's raining, rain is beautiful too, or snow is beautiful too. And, you know, it really is all about perspective. And so for me, like just to use an example, um, my stretch marks. I've had stretch marks basically my whole life. Um, I started growing into like my hips and into my thighs when I was about, I think, 14. And so my body grew really fast. I, I also was very tall. So I just sprouted and I got stretch marks because of that. It is what it is. That's what our body does, you know? And as a woman, I felt like, why do I have stretch marks and cellulite if I'm not, if I, you know, I wasn't pregnant, I wasn't a mom, I was a little girl. Why do I have these stretch marks and nobody else does? And so coming to terms with something like that is recognizing that, you know, that's our bodies, that's what happens. It's something that happens. And, you know, it's, it doesn't have to be shameful. And I just stopped being ashamed of it. And I decided that, you know what, I'm not the only person on this planet that has stretch marks for another reason other than being pregnant. And I realized that I'm not alone. And I do still have to remind myself. But any time a thought like that comes into my head, like, oh, these stretch marks are gross. I think like, you know what, it's actually beautiful. And I try to see like the beauty in it of isn't it amazing that my body could grow? Like, and you know, like, I think it takes um, really hard situations in our life to be able to have this perspective, you know, like losing people who are close to us. Um, grief really, really brings us into a mindset where you don't know when your last day on earth is. So why the fuck do I care about stretch marks today? You know, like, honestly. And when I think about that perspective, I just think, like, I have other shit to worry about. I don't care about that. That's not on the list of my priorities to care about. 
you know? Yeah, that's huge. It's true. I've, I've felt the same way. I've had like young friends die or pass away at a young, very young age. And it always like each moment was a big wake up call, wake up call. Like you tend to think that you never, I guess at a young age, you don't think about dying <laughs> never. So when yeah. it shocks, it comes to you like that. You, you think, yeah, you, you never know when you're going to die. <laughs> you could so die true. tomorrow. It does. It has nothing to do with age. So it does give you a huge amount of perspective and it's sometimes it's like those blessings in disguise. I hate to say it that way. I think it sounds terrible, but you know what I mean? Like those tragedies that leave you. So bittersweet. Yeah. Those tragedies that leave you with something of value. And that is that life is really short <laughs> to be caring about. It's so short. Yeah. Yeah. Do you. And I. I... Yeah, Sorry, yeah. I, I just feel like I think back to how many times that I was so consumed with counting calories and working out that I literally did not give time and energy to things that were important, like my family. And, and when I lost my grandma in 2016, she was one of the closest people to me. She was my favorite person. And when I lost her, I was so sad that she was taken from me and upset. And I realized that, you know what, if I would have stopped caring about my body, I would have had more time with her. And, you know, we all have our time to go. I really do think that. I know that now that we all have our time on this earth and we all have our time when we leave. And I've come to terms with grief a lot more throughout the years. But, um, yeah, I just, you really put into perspective of what is worth your time and energy and what is it. What would you advise to people who haven't gone through that experience and you know like and who mm-hmm. are struggling with that with comparing themselves with obsessing over a, a body part mm-hmm. I would say don't feel like you have to figure it all out all at once um I think grace is the, one of the most powerful uh you know things that we can allow ourselves grace and forgiveness and knowing that we're not perfect. Nobody is perfect. And if you feel like you're not measuring up, and if you feel like you're really struggling with this, um, it's not going to happen overnight. And it really is those small steps in the right direction that all add up. And I think when you realize that you have a desire to change, and it doesn't matter if it's, uh, you know, like losing weight or, working through trauma or whatever. If you have any sort of desire to change, there's going to be times where it's hard and you're going to be tested. And the whole point is to use those as a lesson of how to react the next time. So for example, like when I had binge eating disorder, I would go and I would eat a bunch of stuff and then I'd be like, holy shit, I don't even remember what I just ate. I just shoved my face and I was completely absent of mind, you know? And then I think, okay, well, when am I doing this? Why am I doing this? And you have to break it down. And when I feel like binging, I recognize that, you know what, that is 
just a response of emotionally to something traumatic in my life. And I can actually deal with that in a different way. Uh, and it does not have to be binging and it does not have to be, it could be drinking. It, whatever your vice is, you don't have to do that. There are other options out there and you don't have to do it alone. And I think so many people feel like they have to do it alone. And when you reach out and you share what's on your heart, you realize how many people can relate and how many people struggle with the same things you do. And that support is what is going to help you through. Um, and we're often, we don't share the hard bits with our partners, with our, our family, with our closest friends. They don't know those parts of us. We keep them to ourselves. But you know what, if they did know those parts of us, maybe they would understand where we're coming from and they would recognize the things that are hard for us and they would help us because they love us and they care about us. Yeah, it's, it's I think having those vulnerable conversations where you share what you feel and, um, and also ask for acceptance because something I got is uh, I got like, solutions being handed handed to me and I've had to really clarify like I'm telling you this because I just want you to know I'll figure it out I don't need you to fix it because that's yeah. another thing that people may feel or, or that I've felt is uh I can't tell loved ones or close ones about how I feel because they they want to fix it for me so they'll give me a bunch of advice or or say, why would you compare your, like that? I, I always mm -hmm. get that. Oh, Lara, why would you compare yourself? You're beautiful. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just how I feel. And some, something I've learned is you can't freaking dominate and control everything about how you feel. You can, you just said it yourself. You haven't stopped getting cravings to binge. Is, mm -hmm. is, you still get those cravings, but you've now learned about other ways of dealing with those emotions. You've learned to understand it better where it's coming from, but you mm -hmm. still, it's something that still happens. And I've learned that with therapy actually, because I'd go to my therapy sessions being like, I want to get over this. <laughs> I want to talk about this and I want to get over it. And he'd be like, look, you never, you don't, if you don't necessarily get over things, they're going to be a part of you. Mm -hmm. He calls them like, these are your shadows. The dark sides, we all mm -hmm. have our dark sides. We all have our trauma. We all have our wounds yes. and we all have our, our, our things. And he says, you just learn. the whole point is to learn to look at them, understand them better, manage them better, but they still, they'll still come up. And, and it's been, it's yeah. that really liberated me to think that, oh, mm -hmm. because, because then you know, it would stress me out to be working on a problem for, let's say, a whole year or two years or three years. And, oh, okay, I did mm -hmm. meditation. I did yoga. L like, let's say something like self-love or jealousy, mm -hmm. jealousy. I don't want to feel jealous anymore or I don't want to feel, I want to have a higher self-esteem. And mm -hmm. I would, I would like become even more depressed because I'd feel like, oh, I did all this work. I did this program. I read the, all these books. I'm doing everything that you're supposed to do. And I still fucking feel this way every <laughs> once in a while. And yeah. then you, you get, you're like, I, I honestly used to think, you know what? There's just something wrong with me. Like, or there's I, no, I there's no point. There's no point in going to therapy. It's clearly not working. Right. Lara. Like, yeah. And then that saved me for him to say, yes. it, the, these are parts of you. 
Like mm-hmm. you just learn to live with them, to care about them, to get to know them mm-hmm. and, and to manage them better by understanding them, like where they come from, those wounds and healing. But I still may not, like I st- I'll still feel those ugly feelings. Like we, we're all mm-hmm. going to still feel them. And, and maybe yeah. they'll change actually, like maybe, but you'll still, so yeah, that's huge. And I think it's related to body as well, like body image. I was just saying with the whole body positivity movement, which is criticized a lot. Um, and the main criticism that I feel like body positivity influencers or this movement gets is that it's not inclusive is one. So, uh, it's only for, you know, full-figured white women is one criticism, which is totally not true. And the other criticism is that it glorifies obesity. Oh, my God, if I could fucking have a dollar for every time I've heard that body positivity glorifies obesity, I would be rich. But the thing is, is that until you love yourself and love your body, and value yourself and your body, you will not take care of it. And that does not, that has nothing to do with size. Um, so it's the same thing with an eating disorder. We have this like idea in our heads of what an eating disorder looks like. And I struggled with binge eating disorder. Maybe that makes sense with my body type. But I also would restrict and I, I would overexercise. And, um, you know, I would starve myself and I would drink water. And Maybe I didn't look like I had an eating disorder, but I definitely did. And um, a lot of people struggle with disordered eating because diet culture has literally just been infused into every aspect of our lives. So, you know, like body positivity is for everybody. It doesn't, I don't care what your race is, what your gender is, what body type you have, what any of that. If you can learn to love your body and take care of it, um, in the way that works best for you, you, you know, you will get there is what I'm trying to say. And if you think about things from a health aspect too, because I was so scared to go to the doctor for years and years and years, cause I knew I'd get the guilt trip and, you know, like I would come in because fuck, I don't know what I had a cold. And then my doctor would tell me, Oh, well, if you just lost 10 pounds, maybe you wouldn't have a fucking cold. And it's like, are you kidding me? Like, I know I need to lose weight. I know, like, I, I have eyes. <laughs> I, I know that I'm, I'm fat, but, like, that has nothing to do with the point. And so I think, um, you know, there's, when it comes to your health and your wellness, mentally, physically, emotionally, uh, it's, like, that's what matters most. And you need to recognize when things come at you out of, out of, a, out of a place where, it's just not right. And, and the thing is too, is like, you know, like I've gotten to the point now where I can see when people, when people say things about themselves or when I get sort of, I hear it all the time now. It's like, you notice it. It's like, you know, when you, you, your favorite song, you're obsessed with this artist. And then everywhere you go, you hear that song or that artist playing. It's, it's like when you tap into those things, you notice them more And so now that I've tapped into this and I've gotten to a place where every time a negative thought comes into my brain, I try to switch it into a positive one. Um, I see my friends 
talk shit about their body and say how much they hate their body. And I see my family say it and I see people in my life and how they view substances and how they supposedly help their life. And I hear all of these things and I'm like, it's, I've been there. So I know how it feels. Um, But at the same time, you just have to accept people for where they're at and recognize that not everybody's going to be in the same spot as you in, in your journey. And again, don't compare. Um, and you really do have to accept people for where they're at and love them for where they're at and love people when they're not perfect and love people when they're struggling with addiction and in an eating disorder and whatever their problem is, you have to love them and accept them as they are. Otherwise, you know, they already feel like worthless and helpless. Do you want to make that promise or that problem worse? Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. I, I like, I like to compare. I just thought of how you could compare it to when you love someone, when you love someone, you, that doesn't mean you like every part of that person. There will be parts of that person that you may hate or that drive you crazy or that you can't stand. And I think that's a good way of looking at your own body too. Just, you can love, mm-hmm. there's, just because you love your body doesn't mean you're not going to like, like, you may dislike certain parts of your body, but loving it as a whole and thinking about it as beyond the aesthetic, like I love my body and I want to, yes. I, I want to feed it well. I want to take it out and maybe I don't like this my stretch marks but I mm-hmm. love my body as a whole and mm-hmm. you know like we're, we can't be perfect <laughs> we're, and we fo- us- yeah nobody's perfect and I think we focus way too much on how we look and not enough you know our body is what gives us life it's how we experience the world our bodies give life to other people our bodies Uh, heal they you know and like this injury and all of this stuff you know it makes you realize that I love my legs because they allow me to walk and what a blessing is that I'm so grateful for that and there's a lot of people in this world that don't have the ability to walk you know yeah totally Totally. and that totally like does that not change everything because you look at it from a function perspective now more than just the aesthetics. Again, I used to like really not like my legs. I thought they were so skinny. And and when I got those the second degree burns in during my trip, yeah. for me it was like actually they are <laughs> I can't use them anymore. I can't swim with them. I can't walk with them. Mm-hmm. And it made me and that's just like a that's a burn injury. It's not even like a bone or a muscle. And yeah. and after that it made me gain more perspective on like my body is not just for the it's yeah. not just a thing to be seen it, it yeah. actually takes me to places like once you don't have that anymore mm-hmm. then you're then you see its value for something that goes beyond yes. the superficial I also I wanted to ask you about um how so how do you feel about uh the you have the like large size models in the websites now I see them more um, because uh, online shopping, I've noticed that, oh, mm-hmm. look, I, I'm looking at more like, and it's not like they're not being categorized as like large size or, or there's a name for it that I used to like see plus size. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Plus size. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not, it's not that anymore. Like I can click on it and just get my own size, but I'm going to see it on a bigger model. And yeah. I've heard two things about this. I thought it was great 
um, I like my first impression was like, this is great. And the fact that I'm seeing them so much, it changes your, you start getting used to it more and you see it as these women are beautiful <laughs> because mm -hmm. the only reason why we thought that, oh, being bigger wasn't attractive was because we didn't see them. And yeah. that it made me think about like, actually, this is all about exposure and perspective. And, yeah, yeah. but I've heard the other side to this saying that, I'm trying to remember, but I've heard critique on that too. Maybe mm -hmm. you can remind me because I, I don't, again, I don't hear about it so much here, but I, yeah. I heard, ha I don't remember what the critique was. Can, can you talk I, about what? I feel like it's the same thing with body positivity of, an of encouraging women okay. to be larger Themselves. potentially. <laughs> yeah. And like, um, it's so funny because it's like, we all have our body types and our, and the thing is, is that our bodies change. Like we go through puberty, we change, you know, like we have an injury, we change, we get pregnant, we change, we become, in, we come into our middle age and we change. Our bodies are constantly changing. And why do we have this pressure to only have a certain body type for the, our whole life? And the thing is, is growing up, Lara, like every single ad I saw was a skinny person, skinny quotes, whatever. I don't even like that word, but you know, it was a thin person. And, you know, I remember watching commercials and the, I bet you I could count on one hand the amount of times I would see somebody that looked like me growing up. Mm -hmm. One of those, one of those people was, do you remember that show? That's so Raven. Yeah. That was like one of the first women I saw that wasn't a size two in my whole life, like in media. And I, and not only that, but she was this beautiful, like, you know, just, she wasn't white. She wasn't thin. She was, she was just something else. And I was like, oh my God, thank God there's somebody else, you know? And, you know, and the thing is too, even in Canada, like, there's a small demographic of people and I didn't realize how I went traveling of just how many different types of people there are and body shapes. And the thing is, is when you're shopping for clothes, it's really hard to envision those clothes on you and feel like you actually want to buy them. If you have no idea what it would look like on somebody like you. And half of the time I would buy something and get disappointed because it didn't fit my body properly. Um, or feel like, oh, I need to look like that to wear those clothes, which isn't true either. So these models on the on these websites help you to envision it on your on your own body, right? Yeah, visualize it, and you feel comfortable with it. You like it. I like it. I wish I had more. I wish there was more um, just diversity in models when I was growing up, and that it goes, you know, and it's when I say diversity, I don't just mean body type. Like I think even people with disabilities, like why is there nobody with disabilities on ads? Like it doesn't make sense to me. Right, 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 right. They wear clothes too. <laughs> like, exactly. Why no. can't they be a model? <laughs> I agree. I agree. Um, so now going to your coaching, wait a minute, before we move on to, to, coaching I, I have a question in terms of your coaching practice how do you feel about the word fat um I think for me fat is something I had to own it's a word I had to own 
take ownership of and realize that because before it was definitely something that if somebody called me fat, I would be very upset about it. And then I realized that like that word itself, fat is like, it's not who I am. Like, yes, I have fat on my body, but I'm not fat. I'm a human being, you know, like I don't need to associate my body with who I am as a person. And, you know, the thing is too, is like, I think about like women were so sexualized. We're so like our bodies. Yes, we have bodies, but we, there's a soul in here. We, everybody has a soul that has nothing to do with our body. It's just how we experience the world. And I know I'm a good person. I know I'm a good person. And I know that, you know, when I was so depressed and I felt like I wasn't worth anything, I had people checking in on me and reminding me that they actually do care about me and I am worth something. And I, I do bring value to this world, no matter what I look like, you know, like we, we forget that sometimes. Totally. And, um, it's also like, I just, you made me think of the pop songs. Like all we listen to is your body, your body, your body, your body, your body, your body. I, I like, it's all about how you look. And, mm -hmm. um, and now with social media, it's like before we used to look at the magazines and the ads. And now it's like on social media. I'm sick of seeing the before yes. and afters because I think about the befores and I'm like, yeah, but what's wrong with the before? <laughs> Yeah. Like, oh my sucks. God. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it's all over social media and it's all over like that one body type and it yes. used to be skinny and now it's just big curves and big yeah. butts and big boobs and the squat, 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 mm -hmm. squat. And, um, it's tough. Like even for me again, yeah. like I, I, it's, and you go in cycles. Like there's days when I love my body, there's days where I don't love it very much. Um, and the, your environment does impact you because I used to be way more laid back in Canada. And now here, like if I go to the beach, dude, the women here, mm -hmm. like they all have the same type of body and they're getting yeah. surgery to get that body. Like even yeah. I've considered getting some type of surgery. And, mm -hmm. um, and I also want to talk about like the other side to that is the women who do feel better getting surgery and, and that's, there's nothing wrong with that either. It's same with, it's yes. like with, with medication. Yeah. Yeah. I think that like, there's also, it's valid. Like mm -hmm. every person chooses what they need to feel okay. Yeah. But the whole point is like not dis diminishing the other, you know yes. what I mean? I totally agree. And I'm actually really glad that you brought up that point because for a while I struggled with that. Like, I feel like I got to the point where I accepted myself and I thought, why can't you just accept yourself? But the thing is, is that we don't live in somebody else's shoes. And if they are unable to accept themselves and they need to do that for themselves, for whatever reason, whether it's medical or aesthetic, if that helps them live a better life and they feel like they can shine and be who they truly are, then who the fuck am I to tell them they can't do that? Exactly. And the whole point is, is that it comes from a place within. It's like, if I'm going to get a breast surgery or breast augmentation, how do you say it? A boob job. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's not because of external pressures or outside things. It's because I genuinely feel better that way. And I can yeah. recognize that difference because I know for myself that I actually feel fine the way I am. It's just 
It's more my environment that can make me question that or doubt that. And like, I think knowing that difference is yeah. very important because I could get a boob job and then it'll be the next thing and it'll be the next thing and it, it won't be enough. Yeah. So I agree. There is, there's a balance. It's a spectrum. And there's been a few things that I think I've seen where it's changed my perspective. Like, um, you know, like a woman who has breast cancer and they lose, they have to get them removed for, to save their life. And then they don't feel feminine anymore. Like that was a huge part of their identity. And like, if they decide to get a boob job, then fuck yeah, get one you know? And, but the thing is too, with that is why is it okay to get surgery if it's for a medical reason and not aesthetic? Because on the flip side, if somebody, you know, it's like, even with, um, if you're transgender and you need to change your gender to feel like you are yourself again, Mm -hmm. um, that is a same thing. It's a huge, huge process and it's scary and it's hard. And it's not easy. And the hormone treatment and everything that they go through, do you think somebody would do that if they truly didn't feel like that would help them? Because I don't. I really don't. And it's so easy for us to point fingers and to judge somebody. But um, until we're in their shoes, you have no idea. Exactly. So um, thanks for that. Yeah, that everything you've said is amazing. I'm loving your perspective on all this. And um, I want to talk about a bit of coaching, again, back to your coaching practice. And I want to know what your major challenges have been in working with people. Yeah. um, So working directly with people, I find the main challenge for me as a coach, which I do talk about on my social media, I'm sort of a tough love sort of person. And but I really do care. So if I'm giving you tough love, it's because I really love you and I really want to help you. Um, but I don't want to listen to your excuses. And the thing is, is I'm not the coach for everybody. And I know that. And, um, I know that I draw people in that benefit from my style of coaching. But the thing is, is that I have been that person with every excuse and I know what it's like. I know that you don't have time. I know that you, you know, whatever fucking excuse it is. And the thing that I, the reason why I coach the way I do is because um, I believe in you. I know that you can do it. You just don't believe in yourself. And my job is to take this hard, scary goal and to break it down into manageable steps and to remind you that you can do it and to give you tools and tricks. But guess what? Like, I'm not going to force you to do your workout and I'm not going to force you to eat healthy. And I'm not, I won't do that. It's, it's not, not only that, but it's not possible. Um, and so, you know, it's, it comes to the point where you have to take that responsibility and notice when you're giving me or yourself an excuse and you need to flip it for yourself. And it takes practice, takes practice and more and more and more and eventually it's easier um but there's some people who aren't ready for that yet in their journey and that's okay I'm not saying I'm not going to work with you but you know I want to be that coach that you come to when you're struggling because 
so many, I've had clients where they're like, you know, I'm really struggling. I haven't worked out in a month. I don't know what, like, and I'm like, why didn't you come to me sooner? And they're like, oh, well, I'm scared. I, you know, like I just felt all this stuff. And I'm like, you know what, if you're struggling, that's when you need to come to me the most. Like that's when you should be talking to me. Cause my job is to help you through those, those moments. So until you can help yourself, you know what I'm saying? Like my job is to coach you through the hard shit. Right. So, um, it's like, I don't want to hear your excuses, but at the same time I do, because I know you can do it. And I, if I can do it, you can do it. And I never want anyone to feel like they can't come to me with the hard stuff because that's really when you should be coming to me the most. Um, and you know, like I take my job very seriously because I have people coming into my inbox that say, I struggle with an eating disorder. You're the only person I've told in this whole entire world. And it's because I shared my story or whatever the situation is. And I, I feel so incredibly honored to have that, those messages come into my inbox and know that I'm the person they turn to when they're struggling. Like that is amazing to me. I can't believe it. Like I really do can't believe that people trust me with that knowledge. Um, but that's what I hope for. Like that's what I'm trying to build is that trust and that relationship that you can come to me when things are hard. Yeah, I love that. And I, and I loved what you said in our non-recorded part. You said, I've been trading for this for years. Mm-hmm. So what, what do you mean by that? Um, yeah, so it's not like I came out, of, like I've only been coaching for nine months, but it's not like it just came out of nowhere. Um, I've struggled with my weight my entire life. I struggled with my body image my entire life. I've struggled with disordered eating. I've Every single thing that I help people with, I have struggled with personally. Um, and I think a lot of people feel like they can't be a coach because they struggle with it. Or you're right, they can't be a coach because they don't look like a coach. And it's, it's just like they haven't true. gotten to the, the end result yet. So it's like, yeah. how can I coach? And I'm very honest with people. Um, I say that I'm in recovery from an eating disorder. And honestly, I don't think I will ever not be in recovery from one because I still get moments where I struggle. And so in some ways, I actually feel like I have the upper hand because um, I know how it feels. So when my clients come to me and they say like, I feel, you know, like I just, I'm so tired. I, I, I'm so depressed. I, I don't, I can't even get up in the morning and I can't even shower. How the hell am I supposed to work out? I'll be like, <laughs> I've been there. I know what that's like. And I, it's from a genuine place. Like I truly do know what that's like. And I work with you and it's baby steps, you know, like, and I'm not pretending that I know how you feel. I truly go back to that place and those emotions and remember how that felt. And that's the place that we start from wherever you're at, you know, like where it's so personalized to every single person. Everyone's story is different. Everyone's approach is different. So, you know, I really try to work one-on-one with people and meet them in the middle and have this relationship. It's the, it's um, one of the most amazing relationships. It's, it's something that's so vulnerable and so unique but it's beautiful. Like, I feel like so blessed to be able to cheer people on. And, you know, when people accomplish something as small as eating that day, 
or doing a workout for the first time, like that is actually amazing. And I feel completely honored to be able to do that for people. What's been your biggest success as a coach? (sighs) It's so funny when we think about success. Like I feel like success, we think about money, we think about status, we think about all this stuff. And it is a thing, you know, I'm definitely very, you know, like this is one of my callings on earth to do. And so I want to be able to, um, you know, sustain myself from it. And I want to do it more. That's, that's what it is. It's being allowed to do it more. And, you know, there's rank advancements in my business and there's accolades, but you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter about that. It really doesn't. And, um, for me, like, I think I'm successful when I help people and it doesn't have to be a huge thing. Um, every time somebody chooses to eat a little bit healthier or move their body or dance or think differently, and I had any sort of influence on that, I've done my job and I feel really proud. And that to me is success. That's awesome. I I love that answer. And do you have, are you very structured in terms of your own workout plan and how you suggest others to do it? Or uh, do you go with the flow a little bit on how you feel? Same with times. Mm -hmm. Do you have like a schedule where it's like the same schedule all the time? Or do you also flow with that? Yeah. So my schedule changes and um, I've always been this kind of person where I feel like I live and work in seasons and some seasons are busier and some seasons are not. And so there's so many other factors. So when I, I found what is successful for me and um, basically this is the few things that I found that are successful for me is that um, I try to have low expectations for myself. So when I first started working out again. I took uh, almost a year off before I started working out again. Um, My goal was one workout a week, one 30 minute workout a week. And if I accomplished that, that is awesome. And if I didn't, that's okay too. And I had very, very, very low expectations, but um, I did it and I would do one workout a week. That's how I started. And then it got to the point where I was like, wow, You know, like I went from not working out at all for a year to doing one 30 minute workout a week and it feels great. And I, well, I mean, it's hard, but I felt accomplished and, um, I wanted to do more. It made me hungry for more. So I moved that up to two workouts a week and everybody's different, especially when they're first starting. Um, but I think setting that bar low is really important so that when you accomplish those things, you feel like, okay, you know what, maybe I can do more than that. Mm-hmm. And I want to do more than that. And you're not like, Oh, I Absolutely. did. I set myself up to do five workouts a week and I only did three and I'm a failure. Totally. Same with meditation. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get back onto that habit. And I'm like, it's a lot easier if I say I'm going to do five minutes and I'll probably end up doing 20 minutes than than saying I got to do 20 minutes. Like it it just, it'll naturally, it'll naturally happen if you just start really, really small. And, and it can also be a struggle for people who 
are perfectionists and say they're all or nothing. Like I'd rather all or nothing. And it, and they don't realize how it can, like, for me, it was like that. It's like, mm-hmm. um, unless I was doing, no, I should be doing an hour in the morning and an yes. hour in the night for meditation. Yep. And I wanted that perfection and mm-hmm. they, it never freaking worked. I'm never yeah. going to do it. And I, I got sick of putting it in my list and never doing it. Mm. Because of course it's, you don't just build a habit that way. <laughs> no. Yeah. And that's the thing we set ourselves up for failure when we're all or nothing like that. I'm, I was like that too. And that's why I quit so many times because I was like, okay, well, I didn't do five workouts a week. I'm a failure. Nothing is happening. So I'm just going to quit. Yeah. And if you have this all or nothing attitude, you feel like if I don't, if I'm not perfect, I'm going to quit. Um, but it's just frustrating because the thing is, is that um, I lost my train of thought a little bit here. Let me try to gather it is no one's perfect. And those small steps, they all add up. And you're right. You can't build a habit when you have this all or nothing attitude. And, you know, I, I know what it feels like to quit and I didn't get anywhere and I kept not getting anywhere. And I kept getting so far and quitting and going back to where I was. And just out of curiosity, what happens if I don't quit? Like what happens if I don't quit when things get hard? What happens when I just try five minutes and it turns into 10 minutes and it turns into 20 minutes? You know, like that determination, that discipline, that resilience, that is what makes you stronger. And you're right. Like you have to know that line. You have to know when today is a rest day. I just, I can't do it. And today is a day where I need to do it because I'll feel better after. Yeah, you, and and you can balance that out. Like you can have days. I, last weekend I was really feeling sore, but I really wanted to work out and I, and I jogged, even though I get, mm-hmm. I, my legs hurt, my back hurt. And it mm-hmm. was like, I, I should really probably do yoga or rest, but I really feel like jogging. And, um, and it's been interesting because again, I used to hate jogging and I still kind of do <laughs> like you go through a, a period <laughs> where you're like, I hate this. I don't know if I want to. And then, and then you kind of surpass it and you're, you're enjoying it. And then mm-hmm. you, and you stop. And, um, but it's, it's been interesting. And like today I'm feeling like, I feel like doing yoga and chill, you know, like, yeah, I don't know. You kind of balance it out. Like mm-hmm. building a structure for me never worked uh, like a very mm-hmm. strict structure. Um, the only strict like structure that I have is uh, weights. I'm supposed to do it three days a week, but sometimes I'll do it two days a week. And yeah. Um, yeah. And sometimes I'll do lots of like hit in between like mm-hmm. the next day and then other days I'll just rest. And then it, I don't know for me, like I have yeah. to vary it. I hate the routine. Totally. Yeah. And you know what? Anything is better than nothing in my opinion. And I think if it's like a five minute dance in your house, that's better than yeah. nothing. And totally. it's the same thing. Like I even go back to when I'm, when I was depressed, you know, like it was an accomplishment to shower And when you're depressed, it is. But when you're at your best, showering is easy. And it's the same concept. You know, when you're first starting out, that's your first workout is a shower when you're fucking depressed. It's hard. And I tell my clients when they first sign up, they're always gung-ho. They're like, yes, let's do this. I'm ready. I'm so excited. Motivation fades. You are not going to be motivated every single day. 
there's just no way in hell you're going to be motivated every single day. Um, but you know what? Every single day is a chance to start over. Let go of the past. All that matters right now is today. I don't care what you ate yesterday. I don't care how long it's been since you've worked out. We're here now. Let's try Let's start from here. Let's start from today. And, and, yeah. And, and working that balance between discipline, but also respecting your own rhythm and what your yes. body needs and not judging that. <laughs> mm -hmm. A lot so of people you, actually like they will hurt themselves because they're so disciplined that they will injure themselves because they're like, I have to do this. I have to up my weights and they don't listen to their bodies Exactly. When they're telling you, like, I need a break. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Mel. I think we've we've covered everything. Yeah, we talked about a lot of stuff. This was great. Thank you so much for listening. Share this with your friends, your family, whoever you think needs to hear it out. And remember to follow, subscribe. You know the deal. I'll see you on the next episode. Bye.